You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Generations Minister Maddie Bialecki. Today's reading is taken from Matthew 21, verses 28 to 32, the parable of the two sons. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness. And you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hello. I'm excited to be sharing from God's word with you all today. Now, I'm wondering if you're anything like me and you've said you would do something and then gone and done the complete opposite or nothing at all. Maybe your parent told you to clean your room or complete some other household task. Your teacher, lecturer or boss asked for something and you never did it. Your partner or housemate asked you to take out the bin or to do the laundry and it never gets done. I'm sure my list could go on as I'm positive that I am not alone in this. It seems a pretty common reality for humans to face. This idea of call and response from our parable reminds me of a game I'm pretty sure you all know, Simon Says. So let's play Maddie Says for a bit and you can follow along with me even at home. So anyone that wants to stand up for this game of Maddie Says to get the juices flowing again, you can certainly stay seated to play as well. We won't be doing this for long. So Maddie Says, put your hands on your head. Maddie Says, put your hands on your hips. Maddie says, dance, stop dancing. (laughs) Maddie says, put your hands on your nose. Maddie says, put your hands on your ears, dance. (laughs) Maddie says, sit back down. (laughs) Now, I promise you there was a reason for that and we'll come back to it later. But before we dive into our parable for today in verses 28 to 32, it's helpful to get a sense of what's come before it. So just before our passage is verses 23 to 27, which shows Jesus interrupted while teaching in Jerusalem because the local religious leaders, the Pharisees and scribes, wanted to know who on earth he thought he was to be teaching with this authority. You see, to be a teacher or a rabbi in this day, you had to have been endorsed or recognized by someone else who was already one. Like if you added teacher to your LinkedIn, someone that was known and respected needed to come along and say, yep, this person's legit, I will endorse this skill of theirs. 
or through word of mouth in your circles and networks, you've come to know this person is of good reputation and has been publicly recognized as a leader. As it turns out, the only person who had endorsed Jesus in this way was John the Baptist. And John is mentioned later in our parable to demonstrate that it's intricately linked to the question of Jesus' authority, which comes before. The problem for the religious leaders was that John was loved by the people and recognized as a prophet, like those we see in the Old Testament, but hadn't been recognized officially by one of their own. And this lands both what John and Jesus were teaching in the category of error, incorrect username or password, at least according to the Pharisees and scribes. So in many ways, the background question Jesus is answering is, who is it right for me to listen to and obey? Who's right? Who's wrong? Who decides? Well, today we find ourselves in another interaction between the same two parties. The parable of the two sons is actually unique to Matthew, as with another one of our parables across our series on stories of the kingdom, which means that this is the only time across all four gospels that this parable is included. And it's something that Matthew chose to include because of the audience his gospel was written to, the Jews. When Jesus starts to share with the Pharisees and scribes, he is launching into a series of teaching that is essentially the beginning of the end of his ministry. There's now nowhere for either the religious leaders or Jesus to hide in this conflict over who's boss. It will build and build and boil over to these same leaders crucifying their own God and Saviour. So on that cheery note, let's look at verse 28. <laughs> what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. The first thing Jesus does in response to their questions is ask a question. What do you think? I want you to weigh in on this one, he says. I'm giving you the opportunity to decide for yourselves what's right or wrong here, to tell me what you think is the most righteous response. Well, last week, Joel closed with looking at grace through relationship and mentioned friendship with Christ. Here, we see a story of a family, a father and two sons, a group of people who should share the same values, goals, and collective identity. This family would have worked together for their household's flourishing as a regular way of life and known exactly what the father was asking for in the vineyard. This isn't a conversation that happens with hired workers, but the sons and presumed heirs of the household. These tax collectors and prostitutes are not Gentiles. They are the family members who have maybe gone off the rails. Well, the parable plays out like a pretty typical parent-child conversation too. <laughs> Verses 28 to 30. The father went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. So here we have two responses that are 180s of one another. A no turns to a yes, 
and a yes becomes a no. Both have been given the same instruction. Both have the same father and access to the same tools and resources because of this. I'm sure like my question at the start, you've all been in both sons' positions at some point in your lives or you will. I know you've enthusiastically or begrudgingly put up your hand like the second son and said, yes, I will do this, only to not follow through on what you said you'd do. But I wonder if you've noticed there could actually be four responses to the father's instruction. Number one, say yes and do it. Number two, say yes and don't do it. That's our second son. Number three, say no, do it. That's our first son. And number four, say no and don't do it. But Jesus only tells a story of two out of four. I think it's safe to say that we can assume the best response would be to say yes and do the work. That's actually the response God wants. The worst, say no, don't do it. But they aren't the options Jesus is highlighting today because it's not how the Pharisees and scribes like the second son or the tax collectors and prostitutes like the first son have responded. He's making this parable personal. Who's right among the siblings? Who's wrong with our background question of who decides? Well, let's go back to verse 31, where Jesus asked the Pharisees and scribes what they think. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Think about our game of Maddie Says again for a second. If I said to do the action, it is the right thing to do. But if I didn't say Maddie Says before the action, it's wrong. It's clear to you because of the instruction Maddie Says that you should put your hands on your head. So you do it because you want to do it, because you are positively motivated by the winning of the game or being right to do it. Now, imagine it's God says. Of course, you know to do what God says, don't you? And when you don't hear God says, you know it's not the right time to respond, right? Sadly, it doesn't always happen that way. And it didn't for these Pharisees and scribes. The first scandal of Matthew 21, 28 to 32 is that those closest to God didn't obey and those in the family furthest from God did. Those closest to what God says, the ones reading it and reciting it and memorizing it day in and day out, were the ones most blind to what God was saying through John the Baptist and Jesus. And it was those whose everyday lives and decisions in many ways corrupted the image of God's family, who were listening to John and Jesus. The black sheep no one wanted to talk about anywhere near God were the ones making the decision to turn away from their wrong behaviour and the rejection of God's word and his commands to belief in Jesus. You see, over the time since the last prophet before John, Malachi, had spoken, thus says God, the religious leaders had started to decide amongst themselves what they thought God meant by what he said. They were looking for a Messiah 
that fulfilled the parts of his role they liked the best, one that affirmed their pursuit of righteousness and overthrew their Roman oppressors. Isn't it sad for these leaders how the people who they didn't invite to the dinners or conferences when they were discussing these things were those who met with their Messiah first? You don't have to look far in church history to see how this pattern continues with Christian leaders and God's movement to redirect, to reform and to re-educate his family when they have lost sight of his instructions or their leaders have taken away their access. In reality, we more often make decisions about what the right thing is to do based on ourselves and our motivations or priorities, reading them into scripture rather than allowing our priorities to be informed by scripture. It seems that both sons had conflicting motivations at one point or another because they both had lists. Their motivation, their hearts and desires, their ideas of what is right and wrong are disordered. As Ron Weasley said, they need to sort out their priorities. Here in Matthew 21, Jesus straight up tells these leaders that the tax collectors and prostitutes, the greatest sinners of their generation, are entering the kingdom of God ahead of them, the supposed best of the bunch. I've had plenty of conversations with younger people and non-Christian friends who wrestle with what God, through his word and the church says, is right and wrong when compared to the world around them. I can follow along with God's rules up to a point, they say, but here's my line in the sand or my red flags. How can God say that this is right and this is wrong? That seems so unloving and so unfair. Isn't he supposed to be love and justice? I'm sure there's something, some wrestle with Christianity or God's word or some aspect of it that's been a challenge for you to deny your ideas and follow Christ. So I want you to consider today, where's your line in the sand? The red flag or wrestle with theology you can't reconcile or don't want to research or ask questions about because you know once you do, it might result in you having to change your mind or be shattered down by others because of it. What are the parts of Jesus that you like the best And what are the parts you tend to silence? What's right? What's wrong? Who decides? God decides because God created the world. This means that not only does he decide what's right and wrong, he's designed the world with that moral code at the center of it. To truly flourish in this world, you have to know the code, which you can only understand by knowing the code maker. Our God created out of love. The Father in our parable instructs out of this and he gives his children a choice, a choice to decide for themselves what's right or wrong instead of forcing the work on them when they said no or didn't follow through. Because he doesn't enjoy or use his power like a puppeteer holding strings, directing for you every movement. He gives his children a choice and a chance to get to know him and want to listen and respond. The religious leaders who were seen to have the keys to the kingdom up until this point at least, 
were caught out because they rejected Jesus, the perfect expression of God and his love, on the basis of their own self-importance and public standing. Because who Jesus was challenged their ideas of what's right and wrong and took away from them their masquerading power to decide. Verse 32. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. John's ministry was this, prepare yourselves, prepare your hearts and your minds for the Lord's commands being shown to you, for you, God's beloved, have once again strayed. The second scandal of Matthew 21, 28 to 32, is not only did those closest to God fail to obey, but they also watched those furthest from repent and still did not repent themselves. The father of this parable is the same father of those children who believe Jesus Christ, his son, and so choose to obey as the outflowing of this faith and dependence on the cross of Christ and his grace. These Pharisees inscribed missed this because they couldn't recognize Jesus for who he was. And instead of getting to know their beloved God, they spent every day learning about and teaching about, they put him on a cross. The consequences of their decisions was horrible for them, but God used it for the salvation of Christ's true brothers and sisters who will be revealed. So where does this leave us 2000 years later? <laughs> The challenge of this parable really convicted me as I prepared for today's talk. Being a part of God's family and believing in and submitting to Jesus is not just about how loudly I say yes and amen to the gospel preached on Sunday. If I consistently make decisions that reorder my priorities during the week, ignoring what God has said, how am I any better than these religious leaders? In fact, I'm absolutely not. I would argue here in this passage, the son that changed their mind from no to yes did so because it was what the father wanted. But I don't think for a second they were able to change their mind themselves. The hidden conversation of this parable is the spiritual battle of our minds being transformed by the spirit to obey. The process of changing our minds towards God is a battle that needs the power and initiative of the Holy Spirit. It's a transformation from the default human condition to one that demonstrates the mindset of Christ. Romans says, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according to the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The cross is where we are leveled in our rightness, in our wrongness, our wisdom, our stupidity where Jesus makes that great and blessed exchange, our own failures for his perfection, his always yes and amen to the Father. But Maddie, you say, that's much easier said than done. How do I know if I know what God says? Indeed, brothers and sisters, 
Let me share with you something, a model or tool to work through that has been really helpful in understanding my own biases and blind spots. So cast your eyes with me to this triangle of right and wrong decision-making, also known as ethics. The first at the top is commands. This is about what God says, black and white, do or do not do. Like the Ten Commandments, do honour your father and mother, do not murder. Anytime in the word there's a command or imperative or thus says the Lord, this is the place our decisions need to flow from first. Our boundaries and our blueprint on right and wrong. Use the word. Know the word. Phone a friend who you know to be a mature Christian to help you with this and read about church history for how our creeds, our articles of faith have been formed and why. Next is consequences. This is about what positive or negative consequences are going to occur from the decisions you make. This is for all my pro-con list friends out there. But the Bible is clear that ultimately there's only two final destinations for where our decisions will lead us. And it's also clear that left to our own devices, we would all be going the same way on the highway to hell. Here we see how the cross of Christ turns upside down the decisions we make because of the decisions of Christ. And it's that pattern of Christ's mindset which will guide your way to truth and life. Last is character. This is what we call virtue and vice. Virtue means goodness and moral truth and leads to life. Vice is immoral, folly, lies and leads to death. It's actually about the process of decisions made and how they shape us as a person the fragrance we leave behind. Our character is shaped by perseverance in decisions of saying yes to God and doing it or the opposite. Here's the thing with this. The longer you leave it like weeds, the more work is required on the other side. It's steady, consistent growth into Christ. In our parable today, we have all three of these represented as you will now begin to find in lots of other passages if you look command. You know what the Father has asked of you, go and work in the vineyard. God says, say yes and do. Consequences. There are but two eternal destinations for humanity. Say yes to God and enter his kingdom or say no and be excluded. And we'll see more of this in the coming weeks. Character. The more you make decisions to say yes to God and align your choices with the Father's will, the more like him and the family you become and the better you represent him. Now, I seem to have no problem with the concept of knowing theology, knowing about God, knowing what his commands are and what he's told us or me to do, but I seem to have a big problem with actually going and doing it. I lack character and I lack a sense of consequences. The persistence of daily, hourly repetition of coming to God first and foremost when my heart or flesh wants something I know is not the best for me, but I can't seem to make the right decision no matter how often the same thing is repeated. Can you see an area that you struggle in? Maybe commands, all these voices telling you what's right or wrong and deciding for you how you should live, doubting God or his goodness or his sovereignty because of the world's view on morality and flourishing. Fear of being shouted down for following Christ when it's uncomfortable and your friends or family disagree. 
maybe it's consequences. You're still trying to live in your own righteousness like me. What are you going after and spending your time on? Do you put as much effort into your decisions around God and your relationship with Him as you do your commitment to your favourite football team? What's getting on your pro list that I might actually be turning to a con? And character. I know you've been putting in time and effort into things besides this. Your appearance, your fitness, your ambition, your income, your hobbies, what you consume through your mouth or through your eyes and your mind. The world is so good at taking time and attention away from your character onto worshipping things that aren't God. Brothers and sisters, say yes to God and do it with God's help. Praise be to God that whoever has the Spirit can cry, Abba, Father, help. He will not leave us or abandon us in our repetitive sinfulness. There is nothing we can do to lose that because it was never us to begin with. That levelling grace and gift of God is given to the children of God. But that doesn't mean you don't have important decisions to make, important changes to make. Today, pray to God at the throne of grace to give you His Spirit and the example of Christ who perfectly and in every circumstance says yes to God and obeys to help you in your time of need. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have the privilege and gift to call you Father, that in your word you have given us all we need to know you, know your will, and seek you in being transformed every day in our lives to look more like our big brother Jesus. We pray that by the power of your spirit, our hearts will be open to your word and you would strengthen our convictions, challenge our sinfulness and reassure us of your healing grace through the forgiveness offered to us in the cross of Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.